Good morning, Faith Fellowship. Yeah, all right. And you got your Bible, Acts 19. Get there, that's where we're going to be. Last time we were together, we were having a kind of a doctrinal conversation about baptism, about tongues, uh, about salvation. And that was really between Acts 19 uh, verses 1 through 7, where Paul runs into these disciples. I don't think it's an accident that he ran into them. I would imagine probably uh, Aquila and Priscilla probably said, hey, you need to talk to these guys. And, uh, and so this conversation takes place. He finds out that they only have John's baptism. Again, remember we said how you've been on a rock. I don't know what, <laughs> how you stuck with that, but somehow they managed to only have that baptism. Remember we talked about that that baptism is, a, is an Old Testament baptism and man, a lot has happened <laughs> since then. We, we're years down the line, right? And so anyway, they meet these guys and, uh, and just very clearly, he just says, hey, that baptism basically is like a leap towards what it is that you really need to be paying attention to, pay attention to which is Jesus Christ. And so they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a problem. No argument. You know, they get down with it. They end up believing on the name of Jesus Christ and they get their baptiz uh, uh, believer's baptism. Remember, we said last week is just that there are a lot of weird things happening. This is the end of uh, the mention, really, of the word baptism in Acts. Uh, you're going to see that in the rest of the New Testament. But really, you're kind of looking at a few things. So the fact that the tongues was even brought up is that now it's letting you know that there are other individuals around that need to hear clearly what God is doing. Right. And so they're starting to hear that in their own language. They hear these guys start to prophesy and deliver in tongues. And uh, remember, we just said, like, just to keep those things straight in your mind, that where we are now in terms of baptism is that it needs to picture the uh, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. OK, so really, you have two that you need to kind of be thinking. There is a spiritual baptism that happens that, you know, we can't manufacture. That's something that God does once we believe on the name of Jesus Christ. But then there's the physical one that I do. So I have this physical representation and I have the spiritual that takes place. And so in this case of those individuals getting baptized, both of those baptisms will be taking place almost simultaneously at that point. And so it's kind of a weird mix of things because you got the mention of John's baptism and then believers baptism, but still with that kind of Jewish bent to it. And then, you know, the spiritual baptism, all of that, like, boom. And just in those seven verses, okay? So it'd be really easy for you to get tripped up. Remember the one thing that we said about that in terms of the baptism, that belief comes before the baptism. So baptism isn't uh, necessary for salvation. That's after the fact, okay? And so we went, we went through all the verses and scripture references for that, had a good time with that. Now, okay, so where we are now, we'll be looking at eight through 20, and essentially, verse eight just automatically gives us some window into after this interaction with those disciples. And now that they are straight on their doctrine, they have been saved and received the gospel. They've been baptized both spiritually and physically. And then, boom, we hit the floor running here. In verse eight, it says, 
And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so that's also another window. And the fact that he went into the synagogue tells you of the company that he was around, which is why there was a need to have those tongues, because there would have been need for clarity for those individuals to hear in their own language, kind of what the, the conversation was and for it to be a proof to them that, man, Jesus is real. I need to maybe consider this for my own life, right? And so he's given great uh, uh, freedom in that three-month span. And then it goes on to tell us that uh, that's going to come to an end, verse 9. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So now you have a situation where things are going well, but then all of a sudden, now you have some of those and it doesn't say specifically who it just when it says diverse, that would be like a certain segment of those listeners that were going believe not. And uh, they caused this disruption and then that's fine. I'll just go on to the school of Tyrannus. And then, you know, and the one thing I just wanted to kind of mention, I just kind of looked up and this is a conclusion. It's a longer excerpt. But this was from uh, the uh, World History Encyclopedia, and it's just a conclusion of what happens at a synagogue, just for those of you that don't know. It says, ultimately, the synagogue grew in popularity following the destruction of the temple, allowing prayer and study to replace sacrificial practices and the means of serving God. Unlike the temple, participating in the synagogue was open to the congregation members who were invited by the synagogue leaders to read scripture and even preach. Although the reading of the Torah became the prominent feature of the synagogue, as is reflected throughout the universal inclusion of the Torah shine and archaeological remains, the synagogue represented much more than a house of prayer. This is really important. It was also an institution for teaching, lodging, communal meals, public fasts, judicial proceedings, public floggings, that's bad, <laughs> eulogies, nuptial matches, and so on. Essentially, the synagogue represented an ancient community center, an institution that developed in various Judean communities throughout the ancient world in response to local social needs and preferences. And see why that is important is just so now does it make sense why Paul constantly would go to the synagogue? This is the uh, uh, like a community center. It's got a big deal. It has some standing. And actually, even in this World History Encyclopedia excerpt, it had mentioned that even Gentiles might give to that to see its construction or whatever, just because they saw it as like, this is fine. And just the relationship of the Jews and Gentiles that were in the area was so good, perhaps that they're like, hey, yeah, we can support that just to see that that thing gets built. You know, you think about like when community centers are built now, they just take our taxes and then they, they build it. <laughs> right? And so this was a willing offer that they would do. So you can see just in terms of value of importance, rather, of just getting the landscape of why it is that I'm going to keep going to these synagogues. I get a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of ears. And I want to make sure that people hear the gospel. Well, we go on, like we said, it ends up in that school of Tyrannus. And then this says, now we had a three-month window. Now we have a two-year window. And this continued by the space of two years so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Greek. 
So now it's like it, it's it's almost as if the Lord says, OK, you're going to go to this community center and things are going to work out. And people are kind of wrestling with the gospel, wrestling with getting rid of, of not holding on to Judaism. And so I'm just like, all right, enough. You're out of here. And the Lord says, I'm just going to give you a, also a big platform so that everybody can hear what it is you're doing for a longer period of time should pay attention to that just in terms of the word and his and his mission and when we have our focus tied to his focus and just what happens space of two years this happens and really it, it ends well by saying asia heard the word of the lord jesus both jew and greek asia i mean it didn't it didn't just call out one area it's talking about like the whole thing it's incredible Verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. And so, of course, this is the last time you will see that word also in Acts. So, of course, you know, we're going to have to have a conversation about that because people are obsessed with this as well. And off base, just like baptism and tongues. And so what happens with that? So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the disease departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. And then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. <laughs> oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> Verse 14. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. The evil spirit answered and said, uh, Jesus, I know. <laughs> and Paul, I know. But who are you? Boy. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's probably like, you know, in the Tom and Jerry, when all the color leaves Jerry, when he would see a ghost. Like, oh, no. <laughs> this is not going to end well. And the man, get this, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also, this, this is hilarious to me. And many of them also, which used curious, also, they brought their books together and they burned and they're like, hey, get that stuff, all these idols, all of it, get it in the fire. Did you see what happened? I don't want any possession on top of me. I, I love that. <laughs> it's so funny. And so they like, they burn everything, counted the price of them, found it 50,000 pieces of sil silver. So Miley grew the word of God and prevailed. It's interesting, the two the different things that prevail at, at given times. And so this morning, our uh, title is Power on Display. Power on Display. And for our key points, Oh, five. oh, wait a minute. Is this on? Yep, there we go. So we're going to have, we're going to look at preaching is powerful. We're going to see that miracles in our life are powerful. We're also going to see that def defeating the enemy is powerful. And I believe there's something that we have to learn here. And really what I want you to kind of pick up on the purpose is, is that you have to understand who you're dealing with when you have called on the name of the Lord and who you stand with. This is not just, uh, I'm not at the mercy and throes of whatever life can throw at me. I am the son of the living God. And that's a huge thing that I can walk in that confidence. I can 
just see the Lord use me mightily. And, and, and really, I don't have to let my, my emotions tell me something different or circumstances tell me something different or, or even just adversity. None of those things should really be trying to motivate really how I'm going to act because I'm with the powerful one. And so let's get into it and see what we got here. So our first key point was preaching is powerful. And just get this down. If I refuse to open my mouth then I neglect the power that I have seen. If I refuse to open my mouth then I neglect the power that I have seen myself. If I, listen, if I am a son of God, I have trusted on the name of Jesus Christ. What is stopping me from opening my mouth to share my faith? Why is that so hard? Well, we could come up with any excuse, but is it going to stand up against who it is that we say we serve? Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, like, listen, that's, that verse just punches you in the chin because it says something right out the gate that you have to wrestle with. And it says ashamed. And now that means I have to just ask myself a very simple question. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Oh boy. I didn't really want to ask myself that this morning. It's nice outside, <laughs> right? What about the gospel is offensive? Not offensive enough that I didn't take it, but offensive enough I won't tell it. In verse eight, again, we know how this has gone for him going into these synagogues. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And the thing I want you to notice there is the time is valuable, so don't waste it. Man, he had said what he needed to say to those disciples. And now things had come up to the point where he's like, okay, uh, straight to the synagogue, let's go. Maybe they went with him, maybe they didn't. But now, at least for sure, they know the truth of God's word. And he doesn't take breaks <laughs> like we would try to do. You know how we would do like, okay, well, I shared the gospel uh, this week, Lord. So I'm done for about six months. <laughs> and uh, I'll see you back in six months, maybe around Christmas. And then uh, we'll try it again. No, man. No. Do you look at opportunities to seize the opportunity that you have? Whatever your situation is. Wherever it is that you work, I love that our prayer life in this class has been changing over the years. We're more and more. It's not just, you know, my ankles and my bunions and funions and my back. And then, you know, and listen, we want to pray about those things. Absolutely. But you know what my heart is in this class is that we are evangelistic. So I am I want to click my heels like the old Toyota commercials when I listen to you mention names of individuals. Man, are you ready to go into a place and just say, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I came here to eat dinner, but I can, I can feel the, the Holy Spirit tapping on me. You guys ever had that? Boy, you had dinner, and sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, you better say something. And you're like, no, leave me alone. I'm trying to finish my salmon. Nope, I better do it. <laughs> Waitress comes over because maybe they're really friendly. 
right? And you just get in this, this ease of conversation vibe. And the Lord's like, do it, do it. Do <laughs> you like, no, I don't want to, no. No, I need to finish my tea first. You know, the Lord's like, come on, man, just do it. The time is valuable. But here's the deal. This is what we're, this, we don't even think about eight, verse eight, because we already at verse nine. This is all we think. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil that way before the multitude. Listen, all he did was he departed from them. He still told, excuse me, he still told them truth. He still gave them truth. He, he gave them everything that they needed. But man, it was up to them to make that decision. We can't force the decision on anybody, right? And that's the part that as adults, we don't really like. Where kids are really good about that. If you have children that have ever shared the gospel, you can see like they're, they're just playing on the seesaw or whatever, and you will just hear the gospel just fly out of their mouth. And you're just like, wow, there was no lead in. They're not worried about some kind of, I need to bridge some kind of gap. They're just like, boom, do you know Jesus? loves you. And the other kid, like I overheard one time a conversation. Matter of fact, it was my niece and Tegan. And we went to see puppets and uh, Tegan in the back. There's no my niece from Adam. She's like, you know, Jesus loves you. I'm like, wow. Okay. This is what we're doing. <laughs> Paul Messner can wait. We just, <laughs> we're going to see how this plays out, you know? And she just, boom, just laid out the gospel in kid form. And we lose that because we're so worried about how we're going to be perceived or how somebody's going to see me or all oh, rejection. Adults, we don't like rejection. I want to play it safe. But listen, this is a guarantee that things, some people will be hardened and, and, and some won't believe, y'all. Some may even speak evil of that way. And what do you do? You don't fight with them. You don't get on social media and try to cancel them. You just depart from them. And really, let me give you something else that you would do. You depart in prayer. You depart in prayer. If you're going to depart from them, then you absolutely want to be praying that God is still going to be at work in their life. Remember, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. My war is not against other people. No matter how offensive they may be to me, I don't, because I know the word of God, I don't want what I know is coming if they don't receive Jesus Christ. Nobody needs that. Do I think that way? Is that my heart attitude? I think it's something that we should just question ourselves with. Something else I think that's important for us to know, and this is just kind of a good a uh, uh, principle for us to follow is key to call those with an ear to hear away from worldly influence. A lot of times we want to interject ourselves into what everybody else is doing. Listen, I'm going to invite you to Bible study and to church. I'm not always going to be where you are because the thing is, is where you are, maybe I don't need to be at. And you got to know, listen, be wise about this, fellas. You know, because your testimony matters. Perhaps I don't need to be in that bar. Hey, we can, we can meet at our, my house. We're neighbors. Hey, let's meet after work at Applebee's, <laughs> you know, which has a bar, but it's a restaurant, you know, kind of thing, right? And like, 
Just be wise about that sort of thing. I love it, man, that we are, we're starting to use our Bible studies in the right way in this class. It should be the place that we're inviting them to. Because perhaps this setting is a little intimidating for them. And so we get into Bible study and now it's, it's just all guys or it's all, excuse me, all ladies. And then now here we are together and we're going to get in the word of God. And now you get a chance to see it for yourself. That's huge. That's huge. Consider that. I love also just something else of note about this, just as we enter or get out of here on that. Is that, you know, there was just an allowance from the Lord. And really, you have to look at the fact that the Lord gave Paul time in both settings. And so, listen, your encouragement needs to be that the Lord is at work with his gospel. It will win. It will win. And perhaps it is that you wrestle with that fact. You know, it's like you give it and you've, you've heard no 70 times. And it starts to just weigh on your heart in a way that you're just like, man, this doesn't work. That was never Paul's position. If we're going to learn anything from Paul is that he just almost seemingly mindlessly, but, but it wasn't mindlessly. He was actually of the right mind. And he just would crash his head into that wall constantly. Man, praise the Lord for that faithfulness. Listen, the, the Lord absolutely works, you know, on our behalf. But I think the one thing, sometimes we get it twisted around a little bit as if, so I, I give you this nugget, Lord, this, this small little nugget of faithfulness. And, and now my expectation is that you would just make a horn of plenty in terms of, you know, all this fruit, man, it's going to take some work. It's going to take time. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take tears. You got to follow up. You got to keep inviting. I think that's the thing, just in terms of understanding that power on display is like, if you don't open your mouth, you don't see any of that. You got to understand that that's the entry point. And I love that Paul constantly models that for us. The next thing and our next key point is miracles in our life are powerful. And so get this down. Acknowledge that God has been at work in your life. You need to acknowledge that God has been at work in your life. You know, one of the things that um, is troublesome for this modern era of Christianity is that uh, we always are kind of wanting the Lord to just prove himself again and again. Well, if you're really the Lord, then you'll do this. If you're really the Lord, you do that. Again, that reduces him to some, like a genie or something. That's not, that's not God-level understanding. And, and here, I, this, this warning that I'm going to read to you here in Matthew eleven twenty one 21 is something that... Yes, I understand dispensationally where this is at, but this could be true of us as well. Woe unto thee, Corazon. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Man, do you, do you live a life? Are you the grumpiest believer that the lost people around you know? Are you the most upset? You're the one that has the life that has the most you know, tumultuous 
you know, your interaction with your bosses, all of these things, and your testimony is just sliding into a corner. How are they going to see the reality? What the miracle of salvation, that's a salvation is a miracle, right? Was that something that I could have done for myself? No, I couldn't have done that for myself. But is that testimony of that present so that the lost world can see that in me? Man, sometimes, listen, I have to make that adjustment on my own or just like make sure my countenance is right. This is the Midwest. And right now, for, for a little while, I don't know how long that'll last, but in the Midwest, you can get in a conversation anywhere. <laughs> you can be pumping your gas and then all of a sudden, just somebody nice just over there and you just talking about, man, gas prices are high, da 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 and then it's 20 minutes later. <laughs> Midwest. But if I'm grumpy and I kind of have this, don't look at me and I'm going to put gasoline on if you talk to me, kind of, nobody's going to talk to you. Where is that joy of the Lord? And so we want to see this kind of special miracles here that are going to be taking place. And so God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul in verse 11. That wrought, for those that don't know, means made. So, and God made special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, the verse already set you up in terms of how you should be thinking on this. Miracles meaning strength, power, or ability. And also, like I had mentioned, the last time this word is used in Acts. But listen, I very much, just like in a very doctrinal way, we got to have some understanding. Pitfalls, there are pitfalls of being obsessed with miracles. There are absolutely pitfalls of that. Because listen, people like the idea of having power themselves in order to be able to do something or, you know, now I just, you know, put some oil on you and push five rolls back and healed you and called you up. And now, you know, you had cancer. Now you don't. and you, Your leg is longer than it was and whatever. Foolishness <laughs> that just happens out there. So listen, your first pitfall is this miracle work can lend itself to pride. Acts 8, 13, you remember the story. We read this time ago, and then we'll skip down to 8, 21. It says this, then Simon himself believed also. Remember, that was the sorcerer that was in that particular area, believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and sign which were done. And when Simon saw that the, the laying on the hands of the apostles, hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. I love it. But Peter, but Peter said unto him, that money perish with thee, brother, <laughs> because I has thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. All he wanted to do is be able to showcase power. Remember it was in that particular area that he bewitched them. That's what he wanted the power to still maintain that. And so, man, I, you know, I don't like to come for people or go at people, but just when I hear a lot of these miracle workers, I'm already a little bit, I tried in my heart, like, okay, Lord, let me give him a shot. But man, I'm just, what glory is that for them? Having that ability. Ability. <laughs> the second thing that miracle work can do is it's not a guarantee of faithfulness. So now, so what? 
What if the Lord gave me this? There's no guarantee that something's going to come out of it, but I have a guarantee in his word. If people get saved and we disciple them and we teach them what the word of God says, that's where the guarantees are. It ain't on power or display of it because I can go and call down this thing and the Ouija board's moving all funny. Come on, man. We have a word of God. Second Corinthians 12, uh, 10 through 16 says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am become a fool in glory. You have compelled me though. I like, I, I have to kind of say this for I ought to have been commended of you for nothing. Am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein you were inferior in other churches, except that I myself, excuse me, I, it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Man, after everything you saw, everything that happened between us, still, I caught you with guile. We know how the Corinthian church was and the corrections that needed to take place there. But if miracles are so great, how come that didn't have that much of an impact on that church? It's because they're not so great. God's word is great, I'll tell you that. When I think about my own life and just the, upon hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the transformation that it made and just the things that it just like it was a domino effect of change and transformation. I started with, okay, my grandma bought me a Bible and, and then I started coming to church and man, I remember coming to KCBT and they started talking about discipleship and I'm like, absolutely. I want to do that. And man, and I got involved in discipleship and that it, it was like all this stuff that nothing rocket science, no NASA level knowledge, but it was like rocket science for me hearing it in a way that was concise and it made sense. And like, this is, what do you mean? I have this and the Lord's given me this and this is the opportunity. Oh my God. Boy, I couldn't wait to meet with Troy every week. <laughs> it was something new. Man, that guy didn't, he didn't start a fire out of nothing on the table. That wasn't the draw. He didn't say, hey, Dale, uh, you got some ailment. Let me uh, put my hands together, get them warm, and then put them on you, and then now you're fixed. See you next week. That was not discipleship. I don't know what that would have been. Scary, a horror movie, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> man get off of these platforms that just thinks to somehow that, oh, I just wish it was like it. I just wish I could just see, you know, what happened in, in Moses' day. Why? I can read about it and I can have greater power now. Sounds weird to say, but I have the Holy Spirit and you do too. And you do too. I have a completed word of God. I have the church. Did Moses have that? No. 
It's better now. Last one. Instead of that focus on miracle work and, and what it can do and the pride that it can develop and the fact that it doesn't actually guarantee faithfulness for all those that will be able to witness those things, the ability given was never designed to bring us glory. We have to understand that. Second Corinthians four, six and seven says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's all glory back to the Lord. And for in this transition period, which we know Acts is, where there are these things that are taking place. And the reason you kind of don't see that is because as the word is getting completed, there's just not a need for it going forward. You have the word of God. If not, people would rely very heavily on experience. And this happened to me, or I saw this take place, and that would trump the word of God. But the Lord would never belittle his word in that way. And so what happened? Let's see something here, something kind of cool I want to point out to you. Verse 12, so that from this body we were brought unto the sick, handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. There's something I want you to know about this. Both of these items are tied to labor. The handkerchief are used to wipe the brow from sweat and the apron commonly worn by workmen and servants. Sort of like Carhartt. Yeah, so now Carhartt just got a little bit better <laughs> in this class. You guys know me and Carhartt have a strong relationship but the thing that is being identified here is that of one of a servant. And that, boy, it just floored me when I was thinking about he's given him something like that. No oils, no potions, but representatives of work. Man, that's incredible. This also should not be misunderstood that this is worship of Paul, but rather a show of faith by physical and spiritually sick individuals. This also would also acknowledge that Paul was a man of God and Peter had the same ability that was physical. I'll just read this to you in Acts 5, 11 through 16, just to uh, bring you back to your remembrance. This was after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And it says, and, and after that happened, verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostle were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed, every one of them. So this same thing had happened with Peter and now it's taking place with Paul. And now Paul is giving out these representations of work and labor and the people are being healed. And so that's going to lead us to our next uh, key point. Defeating the enemy is powerful. Because again, like we said, what happens when you see a show of power 
is you kind of, you want to do it. I think that's cool. So these guys are like, that's neat. It's a neat trick. If I just say these words, uh, maybe not. I want to give you a warning here. Second Timothy three, one through seven, let this never be said of us. This know also that in the last days perilous times come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And this is it, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So in all that they had witnessed, all that they had seen Paul do and say and clarify and all this time, you get these individuals <laughs> of these vagabond Jews, which means they were just wanderers, really had no home. They just kind of move around. And it says in verse 13, the certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth." And the thing is, is like, now you're starting to see, they decided to try to help those that were possessed, but they don't actually understand what's going on. They're trying to mimic the command because they think it's just, tied up in the words. This is dangerous. They have no relationship to Jesus the way Paul does. Like that's, listen, you, you don't have power unless you're plugged into the Lord. I don't, listen, you can say, you can go to as many seminaries as you want. And if you are lost, man, I, I'm sorry, you got more head knowledge but you don't have the power. This is a dangerous place to be. And in a place like we have here where we want to make sure that we educate uh, this body that we have here, we want to always just keep that in the right uh, perspective. And really discipleship is kind of the stopgap for that because I don't know how many people have gotten saved first lesson of discipleship. It's just, I mean, you know, we're going to do that before you go to LFBI. Because if we just let people go straight into LFBI without that proof, testimony of faith, oh my God, that would be terrible. What kind of generation will we be raising if that's what we're going to do? And so this becomes very important just to look at this story or this narrative rather of, of what's taking place here. Then it goes on to say, and there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew and a chief priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Listen, make note right here. Never underestimate the power of the enemy. I don't have to run in fear of the enemy, but I have to respect the power that he has. And so when I am dealing with him, I'm just going to say, hey, dad, I'm under attack. Help me out. Give me the truth from your word. How do I stand in this moment? What do I need to say or not say? What do I need to do or not do? 
I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to try to just conjure up something. Oh, this is familiar to something I did in the past. I am going to ask my father always to engage in war on my behalf constantly. That is the only way that you will assure that you will win. If not, listen, you can become overcome. Now, yes, you would still have your salvation, but boy, you could just lead your, because those kind of decisions lead to just like kind of a domino effect of more poor decisions. And you can kind of see, see that sometimes in people's lives where they just keep making decision after decision that is contrary to what the truth of, word, of the word of God. And they really never seem to recover out of it. Like they just have glimpses of light. They don't really walk in light because they interfere. So it's like, I got to take control of the situation again. Again, that becomes glory to you, not to the Lord. See, I'm totally okay with the Lord doing it for me. I'm good with that. I know that that works. I have enough data that says that that works. So my engagement of him is always going to be, Father, I don't know the answer to this. Will you tell me? No matter what it is, if I'm dealing with one of y'all or I'm dealing with people at work or Serene or whatever, if I don't know the answer, I'm just going to say, I don't know. Lord, help me. And then, obviously, the one thing that's great about learning your word is the Holy Spirit will say, hey, why don't you go to uh, Romans such and such? Hey, have you looked at the Psalms today? Maybe you should go to, and it's, and it's not like magic <laughs> where you sit there, you just go, uh. I mean, God's word is awesome and truthful and, and surely anywhere you plucked out of it, you could find a lot of, a, a lot of good, but the Lord will guide you and direct you. And man, those times, it's like that needs to be a pocket, buddy, where you write that verse down, it goes in your pocket. Because you might have to re-enter that one again, like, Lord, help me. I'm having, I'm, I feel like this tidal waves of difficulty coming my way. See, these guys underestimated because, again, they just saw, they saw power on display. And they thought, man, I got to have this. I got to, I want to do this. And they really didn't tap into the, the power source. So now you just fraudulently doing it. No matter what happened, happened. Verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked. Man. Something to note, being in a group doesn't imitate an, in, an enemy. <laughs> Just saying the right words doesn't imitate, it doesn't intimidate the enemy. Our victory is only in Jesus and the power of his purpose. Like that's where the power is. If you're going to do, if you're going to obey his word, listen, that is where the power is. So really, re today could be that day where you start obeying today. Perhaps it is something that, God has been telling you to do or that you just been ignoring or you just you think you got the right answer and you keep trying it don't work out. And so to me. What I want to do is tap into the power source, if I want to see power on display in my own life, then I got to have Jesus. Last thing. Verse 17, and this is known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Verse 18, and they believed and came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also, which used curious hearts, brought their books together, burned them before all men. 
And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So Miley grew the word of God and prevailed. Listen, I, there's a point in my life where I got tired of not winning. However you define that, whether it's in relationships, personal relationships, work, you know, you just can't get your foot right at work. Perhaps it is that, you know, just, it always just with family, you just seem like you're the black sheep, you're the eyeball. And listen, I'm here to tell you today that if you just make things right with the Lord, and for some of you, that's going to be that you got to confess your sin before him, ask for forgiveness, get back on your feet, just get back on it. Okay, and, and, and get to it. But for some of you, that's going to be that you're going to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And what he did in the finished work of the cross. That work is done. And I don't have to, I don't have to pick it up anymore. I don't have to re-engage it anymore. The only thing I have to do is see Jesus for who he is, that he is the son of God, that I'm a sinner separated. And the only bridge between me and God has to be Jesus Christ. Man, his blood was shed. It covers my sin. And now, because he is resurrected and sits in heavenly places, now the Holy Spirit is here and indwells me. So I'm covered on the outside and on the inside. When he looks down on me, I look right. When he looks in my heart, it looks right. Man, that, that's only going to come from putting our trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you have been feeling like you haven't won in a while, perhaps it is that Jesus is the answer this morning. And I pray that, um, that you would consider that. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much just for today. And Lord, thank you that your power has been on display. Um, just as we've looked over Acts and in particular, just what's happening here. Lord, again, we thank you for Paul's testimony and, and just the various things that you allowed him to see and do and accomplish. And Lord, um, from that, Lord, we're, we're motivated. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just give us an opportunity uh, Lord, to preach your word to those that are around us. Lord, we pray for just softened hearts, Lord, in our communities and at work and in our families. Lord, there are people that just violently oppose the gospel that we know. And um, Lord, I pray your mercy be upon them. And, uh, and then, Father, I ask that, Lord, we would just acknowledge that you've been at work in our own lives, that we wouldn't walk around moping or, or just having a countenance that doesn't reflect your joy, but Lord, that we would actually be joyous and just be thinking that this is a privilege to have the opportunity to minister. And so father, help us with that. Forgive us, Lord, if, if that's not where we are this morning. And then, uh, lastly, Lord, that, uh, that you would defeat the enemy, the strongholds, the, the hindrances in our life, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, Lord, we know that it's done at the cross, but Lord, sometimes we get our hands dirty again. And so, Father, help us to just be clean before you, um, and Lord, to obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.